0: Good evening, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow my personal Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we're going to be doing a flyby of most of the uh, Winnipeg Jets related stuff as well as a brief recap of today's game against the Philadelphia Flyers and some updates around the league because there's been a lot going on over the past 48 hours and some interesting stuff has emerged. Yesterday, Winnipeg acquired uh, Vegas Golden Knights center Cody Eakin for a conditional 4th round pick, which converts to a 3rd round pick if Winnipeg either makes the playoffs or re-signs Eakin. The pick, I believe, is a 2021 pick, so it's not for this year's draft, but even still, paying for Eakin services is very strange to me. Cody is a local Winnipegger, and unfortunately he only has one really useful toolset, and that's this very hard shot. He's certainly not a defensive forward, and his 5v5 offense is definitely not there either. He's not really a power play specialist, uh, and he's only got like 10 points this season. In my mind, you know, Egan is just kind of fine. He's not really a, a kind of guy that I would pay assets for, especially if you're going to plant him on your fourth line or he's injury insurance. It's like spending a fourth or third round pick for Matt Hendricks. I guess in some capacity it's balancing the Dylan DeMello trade value, but like seriously, I, I just don't get this. Now, I did hear one or two interesting rumors about this Eakin acquisition that would change the context should they pan out. I will remain silent for now until more verification occurs, but if they do happen, it would explain a lot about the reason that Eakin was acquired in the first place. And so we'll, we'll kind of you know be patient and see how things play out over the next couple of days. But um, on the face of it, I just don't really care for this trade. I feel like Eakin is the kind of guy that you get paid to take you don't pay for him because he's a cap dump. Vegas, uh, on this trade alone, has done pretty well in removing one of its less valuable players and getting a pretty decent asset for it, generally speaking, and opening up cap space for trade deadline moves. The Knights themselves have been linked to Eric Gustafson, and it sounds like a deal was recently pretty close to completion, uh, although the Carolina Hurricanes have had a change in their own situation with a new goalie injury, and supposedly the Blackhawks reached out to Carolina about... um, getting Robin Lerner and Eric Gustafson to the Canes. There's a lot of moving parts right now, so it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the divisions shape up. I think we're probably going to see some changes in Washington because the Caps, although Ovechkin scored his 700th goal, ended up losing to the New Jersey Devils, and they've won very few of their last recent games. Curiously, the Caps just seem to have collapsed, and it's hard to explain. I mean, Washington's defense is not really doing any sort of defending. They're getting caught on line changes. Uh, There are stretch passes that are splitting their deep pairings. The offense is basically drying up. Special teams are not particularly good. In many ways, the Caps right now look a lot like the Jets, and that's not where you want to be if you're Washington, a team that has nothing but cup expectations at this point. Of the teams that have made trades, there was one additional trade that occurred today, which was Mika Salamaki for Ben Harper between, the, I believe, the Sens and the Preds. Uh, actually, the uh, it's not the Sens, it's the Maple Leafs, because Harper used to be a Sen, and then he got traded to Toronto to be a depth defenseman, but he's not really any kind of NHL-caliber defender. This is more like an AHL move, I suppose. Salamaki is, at best, a fourth-liner. I assume this is probably more of a minor league deal than anything, but if Harper laces up for the Preds for some reason, I mean, I guess, sure. Um, He's not really more than, like, a 7th or 8th defenseman, but whatever. Speaking of the Preds, I think we kind of have to talk about their very strange lineup that they iced tonight against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Right now they're tied 3-3 heading into the end of the third period, but this is just weird, man. Um, Kyle Turris, Rocco Grimaldi, and Craig Smith are your top line. Your second line is Forsberg, Sissons, Gromlin. Line three is Blackwell, Johansson, and Watson. And your fourth line is Jornkrok, Duchesne, and Arvidson. I have no idea what is going on with this team, man. I know that they've had a recently disappointing stretch of hockey, but this is basically like switching your bottom six and your top six out, barring like two players. This is like the weirdest possible coaching I can imagine. I'd be very curious to know if the ice time and the line combinations actually held throughout the entire game, because putting Matt Duchesne on your fourth line with Victor Arvidsson, I know both of those guys are struggling, but yikes, man. It kind of worked for a little bit, but obviously I think this this is just sort of John Hines overthinking things. I'm not really confident in what this sort of lineup would look like if it was to hold throughout the entire game. All I can say is that's probably not how you're going to win too many games if you want to make the playoffs also uh, on the noteworthy side, I mentioned earlier that Carolina had a goaltending issue, and of course it came against the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think both goaltenders were actually injured, but then Anderson was staying in for the rest of the game. The emergency backup came on for Carolina, and the Canes actually ended up winning 6-3. You should have seen Leafs Twitter because it's honestly a comedy show at this point. I mean, everyone's basically asking for the heads of the entire team, which is kind of fair. I mean, the Maple Leafs have pretty high expectations upon themselves, and To be embarrassed by an emergency backup goaltender Scott Foster style is pretty bad, although I think this guy actually played quite a few more minutes than Scott Foster did and faced a number of of shots that Toronto really should have converted on. I suppose you can say that the Leafs did score twice on David Ayers, the emergency backup, but, I mean, wow, this is uh, Toronto's third loss in four games. If you want to, you know, carry some momentum into the postseason and, and make a real case for yourself as a Stanley Cup contender... Losing to a backup goalie is probably not high on the list of things that gets you there. As for Carolina, I think that they have a lot of work to do with respect to figuring out what exactly is going to happen with um, their roster going forward. I mean, they're down Maracic and Reimer, which is pretty bad, so they might have to call up Nedeljkovic and make some kind of a trade. I know Vancouver is probably not interested in doing anything like this, but if you want a Markstrom trade to occur because you feel like this is the right time to do it, then I would say that calling up Carolina and offering Markstrom might get you something pretty nice on your defense. It's hard to say how Carolina views its assets because they're a pretty smart team and they don't often make very dumb trades. So you'd have to be very careful and play your cards right. But a Markstrom deal would, in some respects, make a little bit of sense. Nadelkovic might not be ready for NHL duty, especially as a full-time starter. If you brought in Markstrom, there's a chance that he may be someone you could talk for a contract or something, although I'm not sure that I would do that myself. I think, if anything, Markstrom just comes in as a playoff run rental, and that's about it. Beyond that, I mean, he's 30 years old, and uh, Carolina doesn't tend to sign too many guys who are in their older years. Their direction is pretty young, and I think that that's the way that they're going to stay. I probably penciled today's game against the Philadelphia Flyers in as a loss, but I feel like the way that the Jets ended up blowing this one was pretty frustrating because... I think for two periods Winnipeg played very competent hockey, but a lot of small mental gaffes and then an absolutely horrific third period basically just tanked their efforts. Winnipeg ended up getting caught very early in the game, uh, conceding two quick goals, one on the defensive organization between Appleton and Beaulieu and the second goal against Telebuck who just seemed to come out a little too far and then gave Scott Lawton a nice opening to uh, deflect one off of a Winnipeg defender. From there, I thought the Jets actually played pretty good hockey. I think that they had the—I uh, know most of the expected goal charts had Winnipeg with the edge, but I felt like the Jets, you could kind of tell, were pushing a lot of slot offense. Winnipeg was deflecting a lot of distance shots from really sharp angles and trying to get a little bit into Carter Hart's head. Hart had to be really sharp and, and track a lot of really difficult pucks, and I felt like he did a great job of keeping Philadelphia you know, in the lead with no no goals against. Um, I felt like the Jets were actually very close. A lot of people on Twitter were like, oh gosh, here come the Jets again, and I was watching them and I just didn't get the sense that Winnipeg was actually as bad as it looked. I think that the scoreline was probably a little mean to the Jets because of some, again, some mental gaffes and errors that Philadelphia is very good at pouncing on. The Flyers have very speedy counters, and I think that that's something that the Jets don't usually handle well, and tonight they they didn't really seem to have uh, a great handle on it again. I feel like these speedy counters and transitions tend to give the Jets a lot of fits. Offensively, though, it was a different story. I think that the Jets created quite a few good scoring opportunities, especially early on, and they put a lot of pressure. And then the second period happened, and the Jets outshot uh, Philadelphia like 10-2 to 2 or something at one point. It really was kind of getting goalied for once, which is sort of a rarity for this team because Winnipeg is usually the one who just doesn't really do anything and instead has their goalie backstop them to victories time and time again. Despite a very good effort in the second period, Winnipeg unfortunately conceded yet another goal, this time to Sean Couturier, and yeah, I mean, Couturier, you figure it's probably going to happen at some point, because Couturier always scores. I'm sure that there is a a not-small subset of Jets fans who wished we draft him and drafted him instead of Mark Scheifele, especially with the way that shifley has been playing this season, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, because tonight I think, you know, there are some things that in this game I, I was really upset by, and... Uh, some of the top-line players I'm going to have to talk about because they've been very bad. But at least the Jets didn't get shut out, and right before the end of the second period, Josh Morrissey connected on a nice goal. For some reason, like the Jets' D didn't really press forward and activate in the offensive zone and cut down the central slot area, despite the fact that Philadelphia gave the Jets plenty of time and space to do that. Morrissey tried it a number of times, but I don't think that anyone else did, which is kind of strange because I think that that's a perfectly good shooting lane, and if you've got it, you got to take it. Unfortunately for the Jets, the third period was very different than the first two. Winnipeg just seemed to deflate a bit, and I don't know, man. They totally stopped playing. Um, We did get one nice goal from Patrick Laine on a power play opportunity. Yes, Virginia, it does exist. A power play goal for Patrick Liney, which we haven't had enough of recently, although we did get a couple of uh, nice ones against the Ottawa Senators a few days ago. Liney for my money, was the best Jets player out there tonight. I felt like he basically spanked all of Philadelphia the entire time he was on the ice, and he really led this team, even though the Jets weren't actually scoring. He was creating tons of opportunities, finding great skating lanes, had a number of really nice shots... I'm telling you, man, when Laine is at his absolute best, he's just a force to be reckoned with, and tonight was one of those games where Philadelphia just didn't have much of an answer for him. He ended up only getting stopped by Carter Hart, and even then I felt like Hart was pretty edgy on these ones. Laine just carries so much play and and is a totally different kind of forward than he was a couple of seasons ago, and it's very nice to see him finding success once again. Rest of the third period, though, was something of a poop show, man. I mean, Winnipeg kind of stopped skating and really being aggressive whatsoever. And it's not the first time that we've seen this. In many respects, the Jets either have really bad first periods and then play a really good rest of the 40 minutes, or their first 40 are the best minutes of hockey you'll see in the entire evening, and the final minutes are just terrible. I don't want to say that the Jets quit because I don't think that they generally do this season. I think that they're fighting pretty hard and trying their best, but this was a game in which I just felt like the effort in the third period was pretty pretty abysmal. It technically could have been worse. I mean, Winnipeg had a, a couple of opportunities to concede a goal and some very scrambly play, I think one in which Couturier rang one off the post after it hit Ellibuck's pad. But, I mean, it's just uh, not great. And then a few minutes uh, before the end of the period, Tyler Pitlick kind of iced the game for Philadelphia and scored a a fairly chaotic tap-in goal. And it just felt very disappointing and deflating. I felt like the Jets could have done a lot more than they did. I, I obviously did expect a loss against the Flyers because recently they've been playing much better hockey under Vigneault. And it's it's a tough road matchup against a very strong Metro team. I think Flyers are actually going to be buyers pretty soon here. They might be the kind of team that, if you want to bring in somebody like Jean-Gabriel Pajot, he's the kind of guy you would fit into your squad for them. That said, I was just sort of disappointed in the way that this game ended. I felt like the Jets, at least for the most part, gave us a pretty good fight, but then towards the end just kind of petered out when you have such a great game from a guy like line and no one else really shows up that's kind of a problem winnipeg not playing for a full 60 minutes has kind of been a running theme this season especially when they either go down or they have a lead for some reason and it's not even just the defense like the forwards too have this issue of not really putting in a full three periods of hockey and when you are, are as vulnerable as the jets are That, to me, is something of a leadership issue, and I feel like Winnipeg is going to have to fix this sooner rather than later because the Jets can't afford to concede points like these. Nashville and Arizona both won tonight, and that's not really ideal if you're the Jets. Sure, Calgary lost kind of a stinker last night, but you really can't count on your opponents to give you plenty of benefits here and there. Winnipeg needs to take care of business, and they have an opportunity to do so tomorrow night against the Buffalo Sabres, but the Sabres just spanked Pittsburgh, who are one of the best teams, so... Obviously, even if the Sabres are pretty bad, this is not going to be a cakewalk. and It's the second part of a back-to-back. I'm just a little concerned that, you know, Winnipeg has had a pretty good stretch of play recently, and then tonight they kind of laid only part of of a stinker, and I I kind of wonder why it is that we can't get a full 60 minutes of their best effort on a consistent basis. Speaking of things on a consistent basis, if you've been a listener of this podcast for a while, I'm sure you've heard about all of the great advertising opportunities available with the Locked On Sports Network. What you may not know, however, is that Locked On Winnipeg Jets is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Winnipeg Jets fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your company the unique ability to reach local Jets fans in your area on a routine basis. These aren't just ordinary podcast listeners, they're dedicated hardcore hockey fans just like yourself who adore the Winnipeg Jets. If you're looking to advertise and reach out to Jets fans who are predominantly male, well-educated, and with disposable income, then please feel free to drop us a line at Locked On Podcasts. Local fans love supporting local businesses, and we love supporting you. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcasts.com slash advertising and get in touch. Our team will work with you step-by-step step to achieve the greatest level of Lockdown advertising success. Once again, be sure to text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. After all is said and done from the Flyers game, I guess there are a couple of guys that I think we really need to have a conversation about, and uh, I think the first one is going to be Mark Shifley. Shifley this season has kind of been, in my opinion, a bit disastrous. While he has led the team at times in goals above replacement and surely generates a ton of stuff at 5v5 and on the power play... I've really not been impressed with his overall game, and the past few months have been especially rough. It's okay to go through a slump every now and then, but Shifley has been bad at a lot of different things, including setup play. I feel like his goal scoring has kind of dried up, which is partially a little bit just unlucky, partially because he's not always in the best positions, and I feel like his defensive play has gotten really passive. Today, he and Blake Wheeler against the Flyers basically got trampled and were fairly useless. It says a lot when even Nick Aylers has trouble carrying that unit. I feel like the line did improve over the course of the game, but generally speaking, I thought that Shifley and Wheeler were very bad and really didn't do a whole lot. Wheeler also took a late penalty after the Jets were clawing back into the game, and it was a really lazy, stupid penalty that basically killed any of the momentum the Jets had off of Liney's power play goal. Just very disheartening and not really what you want to see. I feel like Wheeler himself hasn't been particularly good either, and, uh, I mean, you know... I know that Wheeler's been playing as a second-line center for a while, but you just need to see more from your guy who's your captain and who you're paying like $8.5 million to. I think the bottom line is the Jets need more from their top players because all of the kids are running things right now, and when your third line today that had been magical for the past couple of games ends up not really being able to contribute as much depth scoring, then your top six needs to be potent and offensive. Really, Shifley and Wheeler need to get going in general because... Winnipeg's offense kind of lives or dies by whether or not those guys are doing well. The Jets have gotten a lot of contributions from other lines in recent times, but eventually that too won't last, and I think Winnipeg needs to figure out what exactly Shifley and and Wheeler are going to contribute going forward. The last time those two played together, it really wasn't a particularly great season to remember, so I'm kind of thinking that if they keep playing like this again, you're going to have to break them up again. I don't know how else to get either of those two going, because it seems like no matter what combinations Maurice has put together, Shifley and Wheeler just haven't been good on their own. Wheeler as the 2C was okay, not great, not terrible, just kind of adequate, but Wheeler on that wing today with Shifley was just terrible. And I think that that's kind of an issue when you're the Jets and you really don't have a whole lot of 5v5 offense on a consistent basis because your top veterans aren't really performing up to standard. I'd contend that even the fourth line with, you know, guys like Gabriel Bork and Logan Shaw were actually creating more offensive opportunities than that top line for most of the game. I also think it's time that the Jets figure out exactly what to do with Josh Morrissey, Tucker Pullman, and Nate Beaulieu. Some of those guys need a little bit of press box time because, to be honest, they're all struggling in some capacity. Morrissey is obviously not somebody that you can bench, but Pullman, I think, needs to get a little bit of time off. You know, just drop him to like the second or third pairing or something, because it's clear that as a first pairing defenseman, he's getting massively overwhelmed by the competition. He's just too slow for that, the amount of time and and defensive responsibility that he's been asked to handle. And I don't think it's fair to keep asking him to do it routinely when it's clear that he's swimming. I know Neil Pionk is not really a top pairing defenseman either, but I feel like Morrissey Pionk is your best option, or at least Morrissey DeMello if, if Maurice ever gets him off the third pairing, until the Jets get somebody better. I mean, Winnipeg is really running uh, a sub-NHL defense and has been for months, but Maurice keeps elevating guys who can't handle the responsibilities that he's asking them to And those guys are just really struggling with their assignments, and I feel like it's not fair to continually do that when you have slightly better changes that you can make to at least relieve some of the pressure. Honestly, I'd bring in Boteto for Boyu, just because I think Boyu just seems lost at times, and I feel like he's even less confident than he was before his injury. Bolyu just seems to dump and chase all the time, but even his puck dumps aren't really effective, and his passing is very helter-skelter. It's kind of like watching Tyler Myers under pressure, except it's all the time and even when Bolyu's not being pressured. Unfortunately, he just doesn't have the defensive acumen to make complex reads, and I feel like Winnipeg needs somebody with a little bit more physicality and skill to handle that third-pairing role. The tetto is um, not really an improvement, but I suppose he's slightly better in some cap- capacities. I mean... Potato gets lost, to just as much as Bolyu does, but Bolyu, at least, is uh, more prone to turnovers and stuff. Potato just gets beat cleanly when he usually makes a mistake. You know, I'll be honest, it's like cycling the deck chairs on the Titanic. So, at this point, I feel like... Any move is going to have marginal impact unless the Jets make a trade for a defenseman, which hopefully happens within this next week or so. Until then, though, Winnipeg has some work to do to try and figure out, you know, exactly how they're going to balance this defensive unit because they have a couple of games against the Washington Capitals this week. And let me tell you, the Caps may be bad right now, but Ovechkin just scored his 700th goal, and they've been losing a lot of games recently. The Caps are going to be playing really pissed off hockey, and that's not great if you're the Jets because Winnipeg does not handle speedy counterattacks very well at all and I feel like Ovechkin's going to have a point to prove with the rest of this squad. Winnipeg now has an opportunity to win a game in Washington, which they haven't done for the past several years now, but I'm not convinced that they will. At the very least, they need to uh, defeat Buffalo tomorrow and hopefully get some standing points back and push the you know record a little bit more in their favor and keep both Arizona, Calgary, and oh, actually and also Nashville out of the picture as much as possible. This wild card race is getting pretty heated, and I think the Jets are going to have to be as close to perfect as humanly possible. It's unfair to ask, but that's the reality of the situation. Sure, the West is pretty mediocre, but that doesn't mean that Winnipeg can slack off. They're going to have to win a lot of games between now and the end of the season, and they've only got 20 or so games left. As always, folks, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to stay tuned this week because we're going to have our Game Worn stories collecting stuff coming out uh, starting Wednesday, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy some of the really cool interviews that we've got going on. Thanks again for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!